How many of you had a great Thanksgiving? Raise your hand. Woohoo! Lots of hands raised. We had a fantastic... My wife did not raise her hand. It's going to come back to haunt you, woman. I'm just saying. She doesn't like raising her hand for anything. She just didn't think I'd notice right there. So, we had a great Thanksgiving. Would you agree? Yes, she said yes. She didn't raise her hand. Like, you, you give me a question, I'll answer it. But the other way around. We had a fantastic Thanksgiving. But it was different this year because our kids are growing up, you know, my daughter is married. She doesn't even go by Bannister anymore. She's taking on somebody else's last name, whatever. So, and she decided that it was her time to learn how to make duck on her own so they could have their own, you know, tradition begin to start. And so this was literally the first year that we didn't have everybody at the house for a meal together We had all of our family here different times of the day. It was really, really unique. Not bad, just unique and different. Something that we knew was going to happen and we are anticipating as we grow older. And those seasons of life change. And so it was a good Thanksgiving. So we had Vince and Victoria over early. We played games, which we had a lot of fun with. And then Kathleen came in the middle and got to be a part of both Vince and Victoria being there and a part of Micah and Gabriella coming later on in that evening. And so Gabriella and Micah came later and they brought mac and cheese. Yes. And so we had our meal in the evening together with us here while Tori and Vince had theirs and we're creating these traditions and it's a change. And sometimes changes during our holiday season you know, when, whether we're talking about Thanksgiving or Christmas are good changes, but they're different. They're not necessarily good or bad. They're just kind of different. This kind of fell in that category, right? That it was different. But that's not always the case, is it? You know, there are some good things. I'm sure Tori thought it was great because she got to do her first one. I remember our first one together, me and Shannon, everything first. I remember our first Christmas together. I remember our first Thanksgiving together. I'm just like, this is awesome. We're creating our own tradition, our own family. So awesome. So I think that there was, you know, if you ask my daughter, how good was it? She'd probably say, it was awesome. The most awesome ever. It's probably what she would say. For us, it was a change, but it, was, it wasn't a bad change. It was a good change. It's something we're looking forward to, but it was a change. It's kind of ambivalent, if you will, toward, toward other things. But other changes aren't quite so good. And if we're really honest, sometimes the holidays bring about a great deal of stress for many believers because things have changed. Things have changed with family, with friends, with people that we have gathered around, and they're not the same as they were when we were growing up and as we got to know them. And, and it brings an amount of pain. It brings an amount of tension to these days that we want to celebrate wholeheartedly. And it reminds me, one of, the, one of my favorite movies is The Prince of Egypt. I love The Prince of Egypt. Now, just a disclaimer, there's a lot biblically not right about The Prince of Egypt, Okay. Okay, there's a lot biblically not right. But I cut them some credit because at the beginning of the movie, they say you can find the story in Exodus. So they give you the source material that you can go back to. But for those of you, just just a little handful of things that are wrong. Aaron and Moses aren't antagonists toward one another in the Bible the way that they are in the movie. There's no proof 
that Ramses and Moses were brothers growing up. As a matter of fact, it might not have even been Ramses at all as far as Pharaoh. But since we're not 100% sure of who that Pharaoh is, we can cut a little slack. However, it wasn't Pharaoh's mom who found, or Pharaoh's, excuse me, Pharaoh's wife who found Moses, but Pharaoh's daughter, much different, right? So we have different things that would change the characterization of that movie. And while those things are not historically accurate, I think one of the things that they do very well in that movie is set up the family dynamic between Ramses and Moses. And so they grow up together and you see them growing up together. And then Moses, because of the death of an Egyptian, after he finds out that he's, he's Jewish, which he always knew in the Bible, just so you know. But he finds out that he's Jewish, and he runs off. And then he has an encounter with God that profoundly changes him, and he goes back and he confronts Pharaoh, who is now Ramses. And it sets forth this conflict And these plagues rain down, and nine of the ten plagues have gone. And Egypt is utterly ruined. And we see this scene that I want to play because I think it's it's indicative of some of what we feel during this time of year where this tension comes into play. And it's after this ninth plague, and Moses is going, and he finds Ramses, and they talk. I think many of us relate to that scene, don't we? In our families, especially if you're older, such as myself, people that we've grown up with, brothers and sisters, even sons and daughters, maybe even fathers and mothers, friends. Things have changed so much. The title of my sermon today, based on a reading from this week, is called Growing Apart Together. And it's really about this idea of what separates us, what causes these changes, and honestly, why Jesus has allowed it and told us it was going to be like this. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to look at one of the parables that Jesus is breaking down. This whole section is really about the revelation of who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and and that separating, that line that divides, right? We read it all the way through from Matthew chapter 13 to Matthew chapter 16. I think it really comes in clear in both chapters 13 and 16, and we're going to look at 13 in a little bit more detail today. Starting in verse 24, we're going to look at the parable of the weeds. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. And while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. 
The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Well, I've, I've looked at this passage of scripture in this parable a number of times. And one of the things that I, I've gone off and done, and you guys can do this in your own time, is, is look at pictures of this idea of wheat and tares. And when they're growing up, you really can't tell the difference between them. Wheat and weeds, right? They're, they're growing up together, but at some point there becomes a discoloration that changes the, the appearance of them. And the heads of the wheat begin to stand out from the, weed, the weeds that are around them. But in that early stage, you really can't tell the difference. If you were to look at it in the field, you'd be like, okay, it's there. And this, because this is an agricultural society that Jesus is growing up, they would have understood all of this. They would have said, okay, I understand this. I get this. I understand. But when it comes down to deciphering exactly what this parable means, the disciples were a little bit like, yeah, I got a lot of these other ones, but this one I didn't get. So if we travel down a little bit, Jesus begins to explain this parable to them in verse 36. He then left the crowd and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stand for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And they will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father, he who has ears let him hear. And if you'll remember, if we go back to the parable, he said this, we, why don't we just pull the whole thing up and burn them? And he says, oh, if you do that, you're going to pull up the wheat along with the weeds. Because at that point, the, the wheat had not shown itself to be wheat. We don't know what's good and what's bad of what's there. We won't know until the end of the age. And we can infer from that from Jesus' own translation of this is what all of this means is that the father's patience for all of us causes us to grow up together in a sin-soaked world believers and unbelievers alike to have the opportunity to believe and we don't know when people are going to come to that place of belief right some people never will and they're going to be cast aside into the fire at the day of judgment some people are going to respond at some point. As a matter of fact, we read in Second Peter chapter 3 that, that God is patient toward us, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. This is his patience, right? With God, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. He is not slow in his coming as some people consider slowness. It's really just kind of going back to this parable. He's waiting. Why is he waiting? So that the sons of God will be revealed. Because when he comes, it's over. And so we're stuck in a world designed by God in his redemptive plan 
with other people whom we don't know whether they're going to believe or not. And it causes tension and it causes stress. And if we read just after this explanation, we see the reason why it causes tension and stress. In verse 44, we see the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. And it says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. That the treasure that those of us who are believers in Christ says is worth more than anything else in the world is Jesus and what he's done for us. It's the transformation that happens to you and me when Christ invades our lives. Much like what we see in the prince of Egypt, when Moses encounters God, it changes everything. He trades out all the gods of Egypt for the one true God, and he finds himself confronting Ramses again and again and again. These are not gods. These are not gods. Let my people go. All that, that, that drama that takes place in that movie that leads to that point, the point of contention is the one true God. And when you and I, believers in Christ, have been transformed By Jesus, it will, by nature, cause tension. Even in the greatest and closest relationships that you and I have. If we go back just a couple of chapters to Matthew chapter 10, Jesus talks about this very plainly. As a matter of fact, as Jesus is talking about this very plainly, He actually quotes Hosea in the Old Testament. So it's not even something that Jesus is quoting. He's quoting as a fulfillment of what's going to happen because of him. So if we go down to verse 32, we see this tension kind of taking place that Jesus promises. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's really interesting how Jesus breaks this passage down. He talks about acknowledgement of him before others. He who acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. He who disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. And immediately afterwards, he then mentions family. Immediately afterwards, he then says, don't think that I've come to bring peace on the earth. I haven't. I've come to bring a sword. And then he calls them this, that 
a man's enemies. He doesn't call them family members. He doesn't call them relations. A man's enemies, quoting Hosea, are going to be the members of his own household. And what kind of enemies are they? They're enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because they would rather you not talk about Jesus because they don't see him as a treasure that you do. So they're going to do everything to make your life miserable, to shut you up. I don't want that. Why do you always have to talk about stuff like that? As a matter of fact, it's not the only place we're going to find those enemies. Believe it or not, we're going to find those enemies within the church of God. Because the parable before the one of the weeds is the one of the sower of the seed. And the one of the sower of the seed says there's four seeds. Only one of them produces fruit. Only one of them produces a harvest. Only one of them, according to Jesus, is saved. All the other ones are not. The first seed gets thrown on the ground and Satan takes it away. Those are people that are probably not going to be in the church. They hear it, they discard it, they want nothing to do with it. The second one is the one who grows up a little bit. They receive the word gladly, but when persecution comes on account of the word because they have no root, they fall away. They're burnt up. The third one is that one that gets choked out. And Jesus defines it as the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. That that's going to make us happy. And they produce no fruit. But two and the number two and number three are found right here with us. This doesn't mean start looking around and saying, Ah, oh, you're fake, you're fake, you're fake. That's not what the idea behind it is. But it is an evaluation, right? These would be the type of people who would tell us that we don't need to be about Jesus all the time. These would be the type of people who would say, you know, we need to be in moderation because we don't want to offend those who are around us because we want, we want to make the gospel as appealing as possible to the world. Jesus died for your sins. That's the appeal. You are on a one-way trip to hell. I was on a one-way trip to hell because of the sins in my life that Jesus died for. And there are those who would try to quench that and tell you and I that we need to regard Jesus as less. Oh, it's good to be zealous about Jesus to a certain extent. Don't you just, you just need to calm it down. People would listen to you more if you didn't talk about Jesus as much. That's, that's kind of worldly logic, isn't it? To reach more people about Jesus, I need to talk about Jesus less. Not really, really good advertising scheme. They don't do that in any other area, but they would tell you to do that about Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that ironic, right? We run into that all the time. People who are uncomfortable, if we start getting on fire about all the things that Jesus has done in our life, they're the ones who want to quench it. And a lot of times, ironically, they might come from family members or even church members who don't want us to be as on fire for Jesus as we are. Because we want Jesus to be that pearl of great price, that treasure that's worth everything for us. And there are some who don't want that. There may be some here. I'm not trying to call you out. I'm just saying this is what the scripture says. 
These are the words of Jesus. We're growing up together. And you may look good. I've been a pastor for 20 years. Mark has been a pastor for 13, 14, 13, something like that. Getting to be 14, almost 14. We've both seen people whom we've built strong relationships with in this place walk away from the faith that they professed that we never thought would. Just being honest. Whom we care about. Some of which will have nothing to do with us now. Don't want to be around us because they know if they get around us, we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about the other person's need for Jesus. There's going to be that tension in the room that some of us experience during this holiday season where we get into Thanksgiving and we're like, I'm around family, but you know what? It's tough. You know why? Because not all of us are on the same side when it comes to Jesus. So there's tension and I want to mention Christ. But situations and worldliness tempt us to regard our family more than Jesus. I can't tell you how many people I have watched compromise their faith in God for the sake of family. I don't want to mention this situation. I don't want to walk in this situation over here because I, if, I, if I mention this, it's going to create tension and I want a peace in our family, so I'll rather not talk about Jesus. That's why I wanted to read that Matthew passage. Jesus said, if you do not talk to me in front of others, I'm not going to talk to you in front of my father. Are you going to regard them more than you're going to regard me? Are you going to worry about the tension that's in the room? Or are you going to honor me concerning sharing me with the world around you? It's a hard place to be. Because some of you feel it. I know. It comes in on our prayer request. By multiple people. So I'm not calling anyone out. I'm just saying it's a general thing. That there's a tension that happens in our families and our friends, the people we've grown up with. Maybe people who were in this church or grew up in our youth groups or whatever that we thought has a really passionate heart for Jesus that no longer does because they've either compromised with the world or denied Christ altogether. And we're like, oh my goodness, I just want so much for them to have the same treasure that I have. And it causes tension. And the temptation for you and me to seek a peace other than the only peace that there can be. Reconciliation at the foot of the cross with Jesus Christ. That's the only place. That's the only place that reconciliation and that peace can truly come. Because it will always be a tension either in our spirit or in our relationship. No other way to put it. And... The thing that you and I have to realize is that God designed it that way. See, you, you're not going to be able to say Jesus is number one in your life if you have no tension that would put him number two, three, four, or knock him down to 100. And to treat Jesus as anything more than the best is to denigrate what Jesus has done for you. I mean, think about this. He saved us from our sins. He's promised us eternal life. He's promised us life with him forever and ever. That there's no one. I read the word of God. There's no one that we're going to be giving praise more to than Jesus. Not just in this life, but in the life to come. No one. 
for you and I to say, well, we need to tone it down with the Jesus? Man, that's to devalue Jesus. That's to treat him as something other than my Savior and my Lord. In front of others for the sake that they might come to know Jesus. How ironic. Paul puts it this way. In, in, in an incredible passage in my opinion. Second Corinthians chapter 2. Starting in verse 12. Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we're the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? And like so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. Did, did you guys notice what he said? He said, to the world around us, we are the fragrance of God, the aroma of Christ, both to those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. Did you notice that? That preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to elicit two different reactions. To those who are being saved, they're going to say, this is what I've been waiting to hear. Oh, I cannot believe that this good news has come to me. The free gift of grace for all that I have done. Oh my goodness, how can I serve this Jesus who did this for me? Man, that's what we want for everybody. Isn't that what we want when we're burdened for our family members who do not feel the same way? Isn't that our heart's cry? Isn't that the tension that underlies everything that says, if I mention it, we're going to get in a fight, but this is what I want. Man, I want so much for them to know the aroma of Christ. And I'm telling you, believer in Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always the aroma of God. To both the saved and to the perishing. The difference is how they smell it. The difference is how they smell it. And you start sharing the gospel that you're so excited about. And they want to shut you down. Or they want you to be quiet about it. Or they don't want it all to be about Jesus all the time. Or they're going to get an argument about you, about this other. What are, what, are they, what are they really revealing? They're revealing that the aroma of Christ to them is that of death. Right? And there's no getting around that reaction. There's no, you can't get around that reaction. I can't get around that reaction. I'd love to. Because the one thing all of us hate in this very conflicted world is conflict. I don't like it. You guys don't like it. Our world does well. Our world is getting more confrontational. It seems like, right? But I don't like conflict. You guys don't like conflict. We want peace. 
But Jesus is telling us throughout the word of God that we have to make a stand on Christ, that the only real peace is in him. We have to stake our claim in him first, foremost, and always. We have to constantly compare our own selves, our own actions to that of Jesus. Is he first? Is he foremost? Is he above my mother? Is he above my wife? Is he above my brother? Is he above my sister? Is he above my best friend? Is he above my wants and desires? All of those things are confronted. Because to have him anything less than that is not to have him Lord or in the right place or where he wants to be in our life as that great treasure and that pearl that we sell everything for just so that I can get Christ. I mean, listen to Paul. I, I desire, I want to know the sufferings of Christ, the persecutions of Christ, and so somehow gain resurrection and eternal life that's been promised to him. And he just wants to be with Jesus more than anything else. You think people had, when you look at the life of Paul, people have reactions to Paul? What did they do? They either came to Christ or they didn't like him at all. They put him in jail. They beat him. Eventually he'd be beheaded. You read the epistles? I thank God for every single person who comes to Jesus as imperfect as they are. I thank God for you. God who put sorrow upon sorrow on me has given me hope because now I've heard from you and I've heard of your faithfulness. Isn't that what we're supposed to be living for as Christians? Not just for Jesus, but wanting to see Jesus transform the lives of those who are around us. And in order for that to happen, we have to live with a little bit of tension because God has put us in a world where we as wheat are growing up beside the weeds in our church, in our families, at our work. And he's called us to make him the greatest treasure. He's called us to mention him when it even is going to call tension because the aroma of Christ cannot be smelled by those who keep the scent in the bottle. If I never mention Jesus, they never have a chance to react one way or the other. If I'm afraid about mentioning Jesus because of the argument, I never have the opportunity to see whether or not they're going to respond favorably. And if they've responded not favorably before and I'm afraid to do it, how do I know which time it's going to be that they respond well? We are called to hold out the gospel of life to those who are around us. And every Thanksgiving that we get around our unbelieving family and friends and every Christmas that we get around our unbelieving family and friends and that tension is just there because of the change of Jesus Christ in my life. It gives me the opportunity to share once again what he's done that they may smell him afresh and, feed and smell that fragrance of life that he offers to them. It's worth the tension because I know what he did for me. It just is. It's worth the tension because I know what he did for me. 
And I know it's hard. I've lived many Christmases, especially when I was a young believer in Jesus. A lot of not understanding. A lot of people wanting me to tone it down. Not be about Jesus the whole time. Not joking, I've had people actually tell me that to my face. I'm glad I didn't listen. I'm glad I'm all in. I'm glad God brought me here because I'm all in. I'm glad I got to be here for, have been here for 20 years. I'm not leaving tomorrow, sorry. It sounded bad. It was like almost past tense. I'm not leaving or anything like that. But I'm glad I got to be here. I'm glad I, I've been given the opportunity to share the gospel over and over again and be unashamed concerning that. I'm glad that one of the biggest complaints I have is that I'm too intense. I want to be about Jesus. I really, really, really do. Because for those who catch that aroma and the fragrance of Christ, the light of life, the changed lives that come about it, that's what I'm called for. Third John verse 4, no greater joy than seeing my children walk in the truth. And it's become a huge, one of my favorite verses because when I see it and I see somebody who's holding on to faith and they're grabbing on and they're grabbing on with all that they are and they continue to serve Jesus even when it's hard. Man, that makes me happy. I rejoice with that. It's the aroma of life. It's like, yes, that's what it's all about. So happy to see that. Love seeing it in the people who are here. And you guys know who, well, I hope you know who you are. Long period of time. But it only happens. I just want to encourage you guys. It only happens when we continue to hold that out. Unashamedly. And I, like I said, I know. I know the fight's hard. I know that we, we question whether or not we even want Thanksgiving with this member or that member. Or we, we don't want to have Christmas with this person or that person because what they might say. And they're going to see what we want for them in Jesus is the aroma of death and they want nothing to do with it. And it's hard to hear, no, no, no. Even to the point where they might say, you know what, if you're gonna keep talking about Jesus, I'm not coming over anymore. I'm sorry, he's my Lord. And if you're causing me to choose, it's going to be him. But I want you so badly to have what he has to offer. That doesn't make for easy family gatherings. And I know some of you have to go through that. I know some of us are blessed. We have family members that when they come over, we're all on the same side of this equation. On fire for Jesus. And it brings such joy. But I know what it's, be, what it's like to be on both sides. I really do. I know the tension. I know the joy. And my advice is still the same. Jesus is Lord. And I'm going to celebrate that whether you're a believer in Christ or not. Because he's my Lord and Savior. That's my prayer for you. You want to see the world come to Jesus? You want to see your workmates come to Jesus? You've got to be the fragrance of Christ by sharing the gospel. Have to be. And you can't worry about what their reaction is. We were already promised it's going to be one or the other. Right? 
We're promised that. There's no, that's why I kept going back to Scripture. Jesus said it. Paul says it. We see it. It's worked out every single time. Us fearing it only prevents us from treating Jesus as the treasure that he is and obeying the command that he's given to make disciples. That's it. Our fearfulness is what holds us back from completing what God wants. We need to start becoming a little bit more fearless. A little bit more proclamation-oriented. A little bit more praiseworthy about our Lord and Savior in everyday life. No matter what it might cost us in our relationships. No matter what it might cost us at our work. No matter what it might cost us in, you name it. Jesus is supposed to be the treasure that's worth more than all of it. As the people of God, if you want to start winning people to Christ, we got to start living that way. Would you stand with me? I would love for all of you guys to do me a favor right now. I just want everybody, please, for the respect of others around you, I would like for you guys to close your eyes, bow your heads, I don't want anybody looking because I'm going to ask some questions. I'm going to want some responses that are honest. How many of you, right now, where you're at, kind of have a tension-filled or dread of this holiday season because you're worried about family members that you're gathering with and that you want to share Christ and you're worried about their reaction? Raise your hand. God, I want to pray for everybody who has their hand raised right now, every family that's involved here, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. I pray, dear Heavenly Father, that you will give them courage to be the fragrance and the aroma of Christ during this season, Lord. That we would not deny you, but we would proclaim boldly the truth of what you've done for us. God, I just, I lift them before you. I, I don't pray to be obnoxious about it. I just pray to your Heavenly Father that we share as you've called us to, so that we might make disciples, so that they might smell the aroma of Christ, Lord. Just lift that before you. Help us. Help us to alleviate those fears of whatever it might be with this tension, dear Heavenly Father. Give us courage and boldness to do what you've called us to do, knowing they can't come to Jesus if we keep it bottled up. I just lift that before you. I thank you for everybody who just raised their hands and asked for that courage in Jesus' name. Keeping your heads bowed and your eyes closed. How many of you feel that tension when you're at work? You need prayer for work so that you can stand out for Jesus. Raise your hand if that's you. God, I want to pray to your Heavenly Father for those who have their hands raised right now, even those who, who may not, Lord. And they're thinking, I need more courage to be able to be more bold concerning Christ with my workmates, Lord. Worried about what it may cost me, worried about what conversations may may happen as a result of it, tensions, lost friendships, whatever it is, dear Heavenly Father. God, I pray in the name of Jesus for boldness, Lord, for those right now who are wanting that for their workplaces. You've called us to be disciple makers, Lord, that we need to share I just lift that before you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for that. How many of you have close friends 
that maybe you've known for a long period of time causes tension because maybe they've fallen away, grown away from God. And every single time you get together, you have that tension inside, like I need to say something, I need to say something. I need to call them back to Jesus. I need to give them that opportunity. How many of you fall into that category? Raise your hands and let me pray for you. God, I pray for those, your Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus today, who are needing, in the name of Jesus, courage to speak to their friends, Lord. Friends that they may have known for a long time, friends who may have said they followed you and they're walking away. Lord, whatever it is, dear Heavenly Father, I pray, oh God, for the courage for these to mention your name, to invite them to a place where they can hear about Jesus, to hear Jesus from their lips, dear Heavenly Father, that we might give them the aroma of Christ. I don't know how they're going to take it. I don't know how they're going to smell it, Lord. But God, I want to see them to see you as the great treasure that you are. And I pray for courage for those who are wanting the same. Just lift them before you right now. They're worried about that loss of friendship. But God, I pray that they would just be more worried about their eternal souls. I just lift that before you in the name of Jesus. God, in your grace, and as we are going out, make a commitment to be the aroma of Christ to the world around us. Help us to be led to those who will see that aroma as the fragrance of life because it's what you're offering through Christ. Help us, dear Heavenly Father, to be encouraged by hearing those who are coming to Jesus or coming into this place to hear about Jesus, Lord. Help us, O Lord, to realize that this tension is something that you have implemented and created and promised and said we were going to be a part of. And so help us, O Lord, to give us courage to walk in it, Lord, that we might see the change and the transformation that only comes through Jesus Christ so we can celebrate together when we see one come home. God, I just thank you. I thank you for this time. I thank you for this this season of thanks. I thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for the celebration of Christmas and what it means. Help us not to be silent and work through us. In the name of Jesus, amen.